turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. By the way, there will be Bible study this Wednesday, but not the following Wednesday. Will there be youth this Wednesday? There will not be youth the next two, two Wednesdays. Okay, so Bible study will be going on this Wednesday at 6.30, but that, that is the last Bible study of the year. We know what this time of year is like. It's awesome, and there's a lot happening. Is that, is that fair to say? It is awesome, and it is. we need days off from work so we can sleep uh, through some of the afternoons. So this is our final uh, Advent Sunday sermon, and John chapter 1 is going to get us uh, launching into this Christmas week, uh, thinking about who Jesus is, uh, Four weeks ago, we talked about Joseph and his experiences with the angel. Rob, uh, while I was out uh, with COVID, uh, he preached on Mary and her experience. Last week, we talked about the devil's experience, which was destruction. It's just one of my favorite things there. And now this Sunday, we are talking about Jesus and the incarnation, the, the beautiful moment where God takes on human flesh, and dwells among us. So we're going to read the first 14 verses of John, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to pray, and then we are going to dive in and look at what it means that God is with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before You in the name of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You that it is life, it is light to our feet, it's a lamp to our path. It gives us the nourishment we need to live our lives for you. God, I pray this morning that your word would fill and satisfy hungry hearts. Lord, if we're not hungry, I pray that your word, the aroma of it, would cause us to be hungry for you. Pray, Lord, that we would hear what we need to hear and that you would help me communicate what you need communicated to your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Now, the very first thing I want to point out, uh, it's not here in John, but it's what I started with. Uh, the very name of Jesus that Joseph heard when the angel came to him was Emmanuel. I love that name. I love the Christmas carols and songs that are associated with Emmanuel. How many of you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. It literally means God with us. And, and the, the statement, uh, God with us, is not something that we should take for granted as if it's a, oh yeah, well I know that. Uh, because like so many things, and I've said it so many times, just because we have mentally agreed that Jesus came to the earth in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, and that the shepherds heard a heavenly choir that told them to go into the town of Bethlehem, and there you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger, and they come and they see that, and there's we know the story. But because we know it, we again risk the very real danger of being familiar and therefore being callous. Sometimes this happens in people's marriages. The excitement and the pursuit of the early days of marriage gives way to the mundane, pick up milk on your way home please from work, honey, and why didn't you do the dishes like I asked type of experience. Anybody been married long enough to know what I'm talking about? Um, but you can, if you're not careful, lose the joy of sharing your life with someone. And, and being really, really more powerful than that, or really more tragic than that, is losing the sense of reality and wonder of who God is and what He has done. We can become familiar with it to the point that it's like, eh, I'm familiar I know that. It's something I've heard before. I expected a Christmas sermon after all. We're one week before Christmas. So I already know what you're talking about. I've already watched all my Christmas movies. And I've read some of my Christmas uh, devotions. So I'm, I, I know. We don't want to do that. Because when we say something like, it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. Where Joseph hears that, that, you are going to, your wife uh, is pregnant from the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and she is going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior. You're going to call his name Jesus, which means Savior, but he's also going to be known as Emmanuel, which is God with us, God in the flesh. That's what I want to talk about today the reality and the power and the beauty of God in the flesh dwelling among us as one of us, but not like us, but like us. The beauty and the mystery and the power of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is really important. Our salvation rests upon this reality. So, let's look at verse 1. Let me, let me just say real quick, the first 18 verses of John have 
lots of books and commentaries written on it. It's called the Prologue of John. We just read it. I could preach, and I am not exaggerating, for two years, 104 sermons on these 18 verses. Easy. Not because I'm a great preacher, probably maybe the opposite of that, but because there's so much stuff in here. Uh, there are there's so much. So I'm going to try to condense 104 sermons into this one. In, John wants you to hear something powerful. In the beginning was the Word. Does your Bible have a capital W? It should have a capital W because we are talking about the living Word, Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it is logos, and it means something that is said. It means the divine expression. It is includes not just what is said, but the thought about it that causes you to say whatever it is you're going to say. Jesus Christ is the living, eternal Logos, the living, eternal Word of God. He is the living expression of God. In fact, if you would like to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, I just want to give you a, uh, another verse that kind of echoes this. Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, He is the radiance, speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And some translations say He is the express image. He is the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ, the living Logos, the Word, is the express image of God. He is the expression of the thought. Now, has everybody got Christmas thinking caps available? How many of you know what a thinking cap is, right? When I was in school, the teacher said, put on your thinking cap because I'm about to explain something that you're going to have to pay attention to. So everybody's got thinking cap, right? Here's the thinking cap. We are talking about this idea that the Word of God, the expression, of, the divine expression of God, is God and is with God at the same time. Because that is what John is trying to communicate. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, everyone who departs from orthodoxy, every heresy and blasphemy that comes out of trying to make Jesus something less than God or something other than the only begotten comes through trying to twist this up. Because this is something that causes us to say, how can He be both with and was at the same time? How can He be with God, and how can He also be God? And I've used this illustration before because I can go to lunch with Homer, but I would, you would think I was out of my mind if I said, I went to lunch with Homer, and I was Homer. 
Leanna and his family, they would say, okay, this is weird. You're not allowed to go to lunch with Steve any longer. That's, that's not going to be allowed. It's weird. I, I, can, I can say, it doesn't, you can't, you can't humanize God in this regard. We are discussing, and John is expressing, and the early church really wrestled with the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is in the Scripture, and this is one of the greatest verses to describe it. He was with God, and he simultaneously was God. Here, here is what uh, the, the best way to describe Jesus Christ is uniquely his own person, and yet he is also one as God. And this is how he is, John is trying to express it to us. He's with God and he is God. He is a unique person. It's Jesus Christ, the Son, the Word, the divine expression. He is not the Father. He is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet, they, as individual, unique, divine persons, are one Yahweh, God, Elohim, King of the universe. Three distinct persons. John is trying to get that across to us, and he's really trying to set the stage for the, the mind-blowing experience of realizing this eternal expression of the divine image, Jesus Christ the Son, became flesh. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Creator. Nothing was made apart from Him. Verse 4. In Him was life. Wait, let me back up. When it says that he made everything, do you remember when we read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, about five minutes ago? Do you remember that it said that he upholds the universe by the word of his power? The entire universe exists continually to this very moment because of this word of God. Now, there's a lot of interesting thoughts there because God said, let there be light. And here we find out that the living Logos, the Word of God, is the one who created and so He upholds by the Word of His power. In other words, what He said is established and it's done and it, it won't change or do anything until He says so. God is God. He's, he's God. He's in charge. He is in control. There is not a meteorite or a planet or potential alien species, we don't know. There's nothing out there outside of His dominion and kingdom. He upholds it all. That's really comforting, by the way. That means nothing's going to end until He says it ends. You're turning on the news and hearing all kinds of apocalyptic stuff, right? You're reading all kinds of... But nothing ends until He says that it ends. And it doesn't end unless it happens the way He says it's going to happen. So, God is in charge of the end of the world. And I don't want anybody else in charge. Okay. Verse 4. In Him was life. And, li and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Or some translations say the darkness 
has not comprehended it. The, the scripture here is saying Jesus is, is shown to have life, which is eternal life. Where's Zoe? She already left. Zoe Hutchinson. Uh, Zoe uh, is the word life here in Greek. It, it means life. It's, that's what it means. And Jesus has life, but it's the life that we all need if we want to go to heaven. It is eternal life. It's not existence. It is life everlasting and eternal. And John is telling us that in him was this life, and that life is the light of men. It shines into the darkness, and the darkness of the world, of sin, of Satan, doesn't understand it, can't comprehend it, and cannot overcome it. The light is more powerful than the darkness. And then John does this really interesting thing where he steps back and he says, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so John the Baptist gets inserted into this beautiful description of who the eternal Son of God is, Jesus, and it's almost like John steps back and says, by the way, there's this guy named John. He's not the light. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. That should tell us something on Christmas, this final Christmas Advent Sunday. How important is it that there be messengers and witnesses to this light and this truth? That we would interrupt the, one of the best descriptions of who Jesus Christ is theologically, where... Where does, how does this incarnation, God becoming flesh, how does this work, interrupts it to say, by the way, there was a man sent by God. He wasn't the light, but he was truly the first herald of that light. He's the one who says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist gets mentioned right in the middle. This, this is genuinely a divine honor that's bestowed upon John, who Jesus later says, if you can accept it, this guy is the greatest of all the prophets. He's the Elijah that was to come to make straight and prepare the way of the Lord. That tells me that part and parcel to knowing Christ is bearing witness to what I know about Christ. That is for every one of us the light we've received from this life that He has is to be shared, not to be kept private. Whenever I hear people say, well, faith should be private, there's a part of me that wants to say, then you don't have any faith. Now, I'm not trying to be rude, but, but we're like, oh, faith should be private. Said who? Not the Scripture. Certainly not John the Baptist. So, we should be bearing witness and testimony to the light. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Think there's a... John who's writing this, there's... The reality of what he's saying. 
this true light that was the representation of the glory of God. It was the Word of God who was with God and who is God becoming flesh to dwell among us. He's coming into the world. Giving light to everyone. He's, it's like a, oh my gosh. Yeah, there, get, this, this is crazy. This is awesome. He was in the world and the world was made through Him. The entrance isn't what anybody expected. We love it. Little manger scene right here. Christmas. We love the imagery and we love what God is communicating when He says, I'm not coming in with white horses and thunderbolts and lightning and flaming swords. That'll be on the second coming. On the first coming, I'm coming in with humility through a peasant girl in the backwoods of nowhere in the Middle East, and I am going to save the world through the most unexpected way possible. We love that story. But John is trying to communicate to us, he made the world. It was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus knew every molecule in the cross because He made the tree that they used to make the cross. Jesus understood all the photosynthesis going on around Him, and nobody would have known how that worked at that time. He understood all of the viral issues. He understood the creatures at the bottom of the ocean that he put there. He understood the reason the tides do what they... He understood the motion of planets. He understood what was in the hearts of men. John 3 tells us Jesus understood everything from the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. He came to his own. He's the creator of this world, and his own did not know him. Verse 11, He came to His own, His own people did not receive Him. So He came to the world, and the whole world is His creation. Every human being and every ethnicity is His creation, and yet He comes specifically to the covenant people of Israel, and they reject Him. Verse 12, though, is really helpful. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We all bear the image of God, but not everybody receives the light. Not everybody is a believer. We all share this light of who He is has come. We all share in the image of God. We are all made in the image of God. The reason that murder is so heinous, when we, if you remember all the way back to Genesis, is because you are snuffing out 
and canceling an image bearer of God. Unacceptable. The reason that abortion is so heinous is you aren't even allowing that baby out of the womb in the image of God. Jeremiah says, in the womb I knew you. Image bearers of God, all of us. The reason why racism is so horrible is you are hating an image bearer of God because their image is slightly altered from your own. Do you begin to see how ridiculous it is? You, you can't hate somebody because of skin color or nationality or I don't like their accent. It's crazy. Image bearers, all of us. Or the image bearers that may be at the bottom of the exits asking for money that are annoying you on your way to work, me included. Or the image bearers that are rude or the image bearers who do spitefully use you or say wrong things about you or treat you poorly on social media. The image bearers are everywhere and the reason that we as Christians, as bearers of the light of the gospel and the truth, are supposed to be different is because we know this truth in John chapter 1. He brought this light into the world. It's the light is life and that is the light of men and it's supposed to be our message to the world. It's hard to have that message when you're preoccupied with the image bearer themselves that you don't like. We've got to learn to get rid of that stuff and say, I want to cut through the stuff and recognize that man and that woman right across from me or on the wherever is a fellow image bearer of God and they are worthy of dignity, respect, and to hear the truth in love. Verse 14. By the way, let me just say this before I go on. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Just something I always throw out whenever I do John chapter 1. Every single human being is an image bearer of God, but not every single human being is a child of God. Children of God, you're only a child of God if you believe in his name. That is really important because the whole idea of adoption through Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 8 is the idea of coming to a bearer of the image of God and say, here is the light, the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. You too can become a child of God through His Son. So I just want to point that out. Verse 14, really where we want to land this morning. And the Word, the divine expression, the living Logos, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full 
of grace and truth. We celebrate at Christmas the reality that God took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives and privileges, did not consider equality with God a thing to remain holding on to. He came in the likeness of human flesh, lived out his life as a man. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is fully God and fully man simultaneously not mixed together like an alloy, but the two natures of Christ existing in, in the person of Jesus. When we see Him in heaven, He will still have the scars. When we see Him in heaven, you will still be able to see the scars. He will be the divine God-man. And Christmas is the celebration of God doing what needed to be done to save the world which was come in the likeness of sinful flesh. But not sinful. Because His Father was God. The Word became flesh. Verse 14, dwelt among us. There's, there's, to me, an echo in John's words where he's like, can you, can you believe this? Can you believe he was here? John spent three years with Jesus, eating fish, sitting around campfires, being rebuked on a couple of occasions. Jesus, should we go down fire from heaven? You know, the stuff. But, but Jesus and John were the closest of all the disciples. John knew him probably better than any other of the disciples. And you hear the exalted way in which he writes. He is not writing about merely a friend. He is writing about the king of the universe, the savior of the world, who became flesh in the manger, but didn't stay in the manger, grew up to destroy the works of the devil which broke the power of sin over every human life that receives Him. How important is this that He became flesh? 1 John chapter 4. Let's, let's go there quickly. 1 John chapter 4. Just to get a, a feel for how important this is. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. How important is it? That sounds pretty important. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world. How important is it to believe that Jesus came in the flesh? It's the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. The spirit of the Antichrist, which is in the world, what does that spirit say? I know we have so many different theories on what, who and 
where the Antichrist is, but the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the attitude, the general disposition of the Antichrist is to say, he did not come in the flesh. So the spirit of the Antichrist can be atheists who don't believe in God. It can be uh, believers in other religions that don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. It can be any number of belief systems, but all of it falls under the general umbrella of anti-Christ who came in the flesh. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, taking on our nature so that He could be tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin also makes him, according to Hebrews 4, a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. When you go to him in prayer, you are not going to someone who doesn't know what you're feeling. He does know. And he is here to help. I love the way this verse progresses. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. He's the light. Jesus says this multiple times in His ministry. I am the light of the world. He is the light, which is the life of men. So when John says, we have seen His glory, he's now got a specific audience. He just got done telling us in the verses prior, that those who receive Him, He gave the right to become the children of God. The implication is those who do not receive Him are not the children of God. So the people here He's talking about who have seen His glory are those who have seen the light of the truth of the gospel, are children of God. We have seen His glory. This is the joy of every Christian. Sometimes I am challenged by the simplicity of joy in merely knowing Jesus. How do I explain that better? You ever talk to somebody, a Christian, in, in my experience, this is just my experience, so every once in a while I'll run into an old saint who has been a Christian for years, and they start talking about Jesus, and you can hear it, you can almost taste it, the joy that they have in merely knowing He is their Savior. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, it doesn't have to be an old, old saint. Sometimes you get that vibe from a little kid. When Eric shared that with me this morning and said, I asked Jesus into my heart, you, you, you feel it, you taste it, this, this spiritual reality that He knows He belongs to Jesus. I am my beloved's. He is mine. This is what John is saying when he says, we have seen His glory. We've seen the light. We've embraced it. Sometimes people make fun of that expression. Oh, you've seen the light? Right? They make fun. Well, they're actually making fun of something that is true. Yes, that is exactly right. I have seen the light, and the light is the life of men. And I have beheld His glory. Jesus is my Savior. So the first thing I want us to see out of verse 14 
of Him becoming flesh and dwelling among us is that the Christian's joy is to behold this glorious truth. The second thing is, he says, glory, so he fleshes it out, glory as of the only Son from the Father. He is the only begotten Son. He is the eternal Word. We spent a lot of time talking about that this morning. So the glory that we've beheld is the reality of Him being the Savior, God in the flesh. The reality of Him coming to the earth to condemn sin in the flesh and to fulfill the works of the law that we could not do. Jesus did it all. We've beheld that glory. We recognize that's who He is. So the Christian's joy is seeing the glory. The Christian's truth of who He is is He is the only begotten of the Father. There is only one begotten of the Father. And there are at least 27 sermons in that sentence. And I am visibly restraining myself from just talking and talking and talking. He is the only begotten of the Father. It is a unique Greek construction of the word. It's, it's, he's the only one. And He is full of grace and truth. The rock that we are standing on, the truth that Christians are standing on, the hope that we have is that He is full of grace and truth. Grace, the undeserved, unearnable, cannot pay enough, cannot quit sinning good enough, can't help enough old ladies across the street enough, can't give to the church enough, can't go on enough mission trips enough, can't be a good person enough. Grace is unearnable. He is full of undeserved favor and it is gushing out like a fireman's hose spraying all over people. It is gushing out from the Father through the sacrifice of the Son to all who will receive it. He's full of grace and He's full of truth. Sometimes when we hear about grace and it's so good, and it is so good, we minimize the truth that comes along with it that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He came in the flesh. He came to destroy sin, which means that part of grace is us overcoming sin through God's help and grace and Spirit. And there are things that Christians no longer participate in. There are things that Christians no longer believe. There are things Christians no longer support because the truth won't let you. You don't get to be a cafeteria Christian with your little lunch tray and say, I like the oranges, but not the broccoli. I like the apple crisp, but not whatever you're calling the pizza because that's more like a slab of moldy grossness. We don't get to do that. We don't get to decide what we want and what we don't want out of the truth of God. It is His truth. And we dare not mess with it. But if you're hearing all of this, then what you should be hearing is that if He's full of grace and truth, it means that His grace is going to 
enable us to live out the truth. The grace of God is going to empower us to be Christians. You don't receive grace the day you get saved, and then God turns off the spigot of grace and says, okay, I saved you, now you you better live right. And then abandon you to your own efforts of holiness, which there's a lot of us trying to live that way. That is not the way that we live as Christians. We go underneath of that spigot of grace, that fire hose, and just say, give me grace today to do your will. Because I can't do it without your help. I can't do it without the empowering of your spirit. This is the beauty of realizing that Jesus came to live among us. Because while He was here, later in this book, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am sending the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He will be with you, and He will be in you. Jesus, by coming, opened up this brand new relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit so that everybody who sees and beholds His glory receives His Spirit and you are changed. I am so thankful that I am not in charge of changing myself. I'm in charge of receiving by faith what God has done. And from there, every day is a walk of faith, believing in this grace and this truth that it's just going to keep flowing in my direction. Christmas is the the literal celebration of God becoming flesh among us so that we can receive His grace and His truth. So here is my final moment for this morning. And I think I'm supposed to ask are we supposed to get Jennifer back down here? Are we singing a song? Am I getting that right? If we are, okay, I'm not sure that we are. Nope, we're not. Um, the call that I want to give out to everybody here, anybody that's watching online or listening, is please see the glory of God in Christ. The Bible says it is Satan who has the minds of this world blinded to the what? the glory of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See it. See it this morning. See Jesus Christ as God coming to the earth as a man with the express intent and purpose of saving the world. And receive that light. Receive that life. There isn't one specific prayer that does it. In fact, There are no sinner's prayers in any of the apostles' works. There isn't. I don't know if you're aware of that. They're they're not in here. How many of you grew up with the way that it's supposed to be, right? You do a certain thing. Here's what you do. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what you do. When they said to Peter, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Turn away from what you're doing and turn to Christ. Receive Him. Take Him. Believe in Him. Live for Him. And you're only going to do that 
if you receive Him. Because you can't do it without receiving Him. <coughs> so that is my Merry Christmas message to all of us. And for all you Christians, celebrate with joy what Jesus has done. Behold His glory again and again and again. Let's all stand up. We're going to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You today. We thank You for the joy of having seen the glorious light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that You would open the eyes of the blind, that they would see the same light. I pray, God, that there are people maybe teetering on believing or have lived in the periphery of the church for years. Lord, I pray that they hear the Son of God came to earth. Yes, in the manger, but you grew up, lived a perfect life with the express intent of dying for our sin. We've beheld your glory. You are full of grace and truth. Lord, I pray that there would be people all around in this room watching that would receive Christ as Lord and as King. Lord, help us to be like John the Baptist. We are not the light, but we bear witness to the light. We've received from that light, and we now shine as lights with your glory. God, help us to do that in 2022, to be bold and to be firm and to be humble. Lord, we thank you for it and give you glory for it today. In the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, Merry Christmas. You are officially dismissed. Tell somebody you love them on your way out.